We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. A part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm going with Kair, Elam, and Christian Benford. Two rookie cornerbacks for the Buffalo Bills. Those guys made plays yesterday. Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, like they're going against the Colts starting offense. Matty Ice is out there throwing the ball, and the moment wasn't too big. Sean McDermott said they were out there and they competed their butts off. Both of them talked after the game. They talked about it was a moment that they remember until they were 90 years old, Elon said. (laughs) His first time playing in an NFL game. Benford talked about being a six-round draft pick, being on that stage and proving that he Mm -hmm. belonged. So, for me, a DB, watching those guys go out there, Fourth down play, a third down play, gets your team off the Welcome, field. everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we're here looking back at the first preseason action for the AFC East. It's It feels good to get that one out of the way, doesn't it? It does. It, it does. It's like, all right, one down, two to go, and then real NFL football. The question that we're trying to, I guess the thing we want to establish from everyone everyone we're going to talk to tonight is do you feel better about your team today than you did before the first preseason game this past weekend? Because that's really like this time of year, wins and losses don't matter. Uh, Team health matters. Um, Progression of young people matters. It's, it's, it's roster battles, like if the, especially for depth positions. Yeah, we have that. Teamers. We have that all over the division. What's the sophomore season for Mac and Zach looking like? And new head coach in Miami. How is that going? It, is he allowed to coach between two ferns? <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but Mike McDaniel's has two ferns. 
in his office because he's a huge fan of Zach Galifianakis. That's a that's a real thing. That's hilarious. That almost makes me want to like him if he didn't look like Kermit the Frog with fucking glasses on. Oh, a PA. We start the show with a personal attack. <laughs> ah, so as we run down this exercise, we obviously start with the basement of the division who I'm sure can't be feeling great about the way the weekend unfolded, the New York Jets. Scott, how are you feeling tonight? Well, I'm just glad to be able to talk to you, Drew. I'm half surprised that you survived your encounter with the first man to ever be franchise tagged by the Buffalo Bills, former left tackle John Fina, who from what I understand, based on what Chris told me, had you in the master lock tapping out, begging for mercy. Hey, listen, it was a full Nelson applied at the bar. I <laughs> I did not tap, though. I would never tap. I, 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 I would pull a Ricky Bobby and just say, listen, you're going to have to break it, Frenchie. Like, you're just going to have to break it. I don't care. <laughs> no, we... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's been a wild week over here for the Rock Pile Report. It's also been a wild week for the Jets, who beat Philadelphia yeah. in this weekend's preseason contest, 24-21. to 21. It The purpose of tonight's show is we're asking every single guest and kind of trying to establish for all of us here whether or not we feel better. Because the, the first preseason game is always a feeling out process. Some teams play their starters, some teams don't. Everyone has a little bit different philosophy that they apply to it. The question becomes, do you feel better today than you did the day before the preseason game? Now, before I ask you that question, because we're going to circle back at the end with that, I have to ask what native American burial ground did your owner build a fucking condo on? Well, don't you know the story about Jimmy Hoffa's body being buried in the end zone of the Meadowlands? So maybe it's something like that. I don't know. Yeah. It's crazy, dude. Like there is, there's been so much quarterback bad luck. And the funny part is, like you said, it all seems to have happened after Woody Johnson bought the team, right? Because you had the preseason injury with Chad Pennington against the Giants. Similar situation with Mark Sanchez. You also, of course, had all the injuries that Pennington had beyond that preseason game against the Giants. And now the Zach Wilson injury. It's one hit after another. Of course, if you want to throw in the Sam Darnold mono situation as well. <laughs> This has just been a, a one gut punch after another. I suppose the Jets are lucky in the sense that they survived the, the fate that a lot of people initially thought, which was everybody, of course, on Twitter is a doctor. Torn ACL. Blah, blah, blah. The worst is, though, by the way, and I think you guys will probably agree with me. It's one thing for dummies on Twitter, and I, I say that affectionately because we're all dummies on Twitter, too. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, don't don't act like I'm some kind of savant or some kind of no, Rhodes Scholar on social media over here. I'm a, I'm a Dusty Rhodes Scholar, if you <laughs> will. Um, but, no, in all seriousness, it's just funny because, you know, it's one thing for, like, random people like us to speculate on Twitter, which I didn't do, but I understand why other people do. But when actual doctors are coming on Twitter and being like, well, from the video, it's, it looks like it's de definitely a torn AC. And you're like, guy, you're a doctor. Mm -hmm. Any doctor worth anything is going to tell you, you cannot do that unless you see the patient and look at him yourself. Like to me, it's just so gross that these like Twitter doctors, because everyone wants to be first. Guy, everyone wants yeah, to they be all first. Wanna, yeah, no, hundred percent. But like, how pathetic is that? That you're a doctor 
and you're you have such a desire for likes and retweets and to be first that you're willing to like practically betray the ethics of your profession it's just bizarre yeah i i it's one of those things like i love kyle uh, kyle trimble comes on our show and talks to us about injuries usually in the aftermath like once it's yeah. been established what happened he'll come on and he'll talk sure. about it or or he will talk about things like the dr kyle trimble from banged up bills he'll uh-huh. he'll go on there on social media and people or people will tweet at him or he'll see an injury and he'll tweet about it but he does the professional thing which is in my opinion, based on what I've seen, here's the gamut of things it could be. Right, 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 But right. obviously further testing will kind of show. And he always leaves that. You know, I, I remember I, I landed a job once because I sat down and I told them. And they asked, they were like, well, if you sit down in a situation and, you know, this, this, and this, and here's the limits of your authority, how would you approach this? And I told them, well, listen, I don't speak in absolutes. Why? Because I don't talk about anything that I don't have final. I don't talk definitively about things I don't have definitive authority over. I would. Right. And it's the same thing with this situation where you've got guys who want to be right so badly just or at least want the attention of like, oh, so and so said it. He called it that they're willing to kind of go out there and make a prognostication based that you don't see his charts. You're not going to see his MRI. You don't know what this right. is. So it's just weird not to leave it more open-ended as you should as a medical professional. But so yep. with that said, you guys have given medical professionals, I, I, I swear to God, there's a cottage industry that exists because of your football <laughs> team. You lose Becton for the season early in training camp. Quinnen Williams yeah. with his ankle injury. Zach Wilson mm-hmm. with one of the wonkiest knee injuries I've ever seen because it's a quarterback who's like, hey, everyone in the run-up to the draft, they were like, look, he's he's small, he's compact. But he's mobile, and he, he does have a strong arm. He can do all these things. I've watched Josh Allen take off on runs that I just, you, Chris, you've seen it. Like, Josh starts running, and he contacts a linebacker, and you put your hands in the back of your head. Because he's going to try to shove that guy down and fight for extra yards, and you go, oh, my God, this is the worst. Stop doing that. Or, again, Monday Night Football against the Titans when he's cartwheeling for a first down, and you're like, dude, you're... You just signed a giant contract if you fall on your skull and give yourself the Don Beebe. We're all in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Instead, Zach Wilson just tries to make a cut in the open field. And it's like, and you heard Sala give him some grief afterwards. He was like, Zach needs to be smarter there. He needs to just take what the defense gives him, get out of bounds and live to fight another day. Especially in a preseason game. Especially in a meaningless football game. I just like how he, everybody got fooled including Dr. Chow from Pro Football Doc. Everybody <laughs> thought it was a torn ACL. He had everybody fooled. Well, which is exactly what I was saying. You can't be speculating like that. It's irresponsible. I, yeah. I really can't I- I express enough how much that annoyed me. So obviously there's a big, ugly, dark cloud hanging over the game. Once again, <laughs> and, and it's... It's almost become old hat. Like, I feel bad, like, oh, the injury bug here in the preseason for the New York Jets. What positives did you walk out of this preseason game with? Well, first of all, I should say, as as great as Josh Allen has played, those plays, he's got to stop doing that. Because if you want to know how that ends, I give you, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Luck. I just finished listening to Zach Kiefer's six-part audio documentary on Andrew Luck. And if Allen keeps that up, that's where this is headed. So for your guys' sake, I hope he knocks it off in 
stops being too brave for his own good. But as far as the the actual positives from the game, listen, <laughs> we can all talk about Strevler mania, obviously. Chris Strevler, former Grey Cup champion quarterback, who led <laughs> the Jets to their victory at the Grey end. Grey Cup, you got a champion in the house. <laughs> That's right. You put some respect on that man's name. But he, he played well, and it, it was nice to see uh, you know, him breathe some life into the third stringers and Lawrence Cager, the who's been converted from wide receiver to tight end. Uh, he played really well and he's been doing very well in training camps. So it was nice to see him continue as far as, uh, you know, the overall positives. Look, the running game didn't get going. I think part of it is because they had two replacement level tackles in the game, but on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of these younger guys, Michael Clemens, my God, they nicknamed him Debo. If you guys ever saw Friday, uh, <laughs> then you know that was the character by Tiny Lister, the big giant monster. I did see Mike, that he had, statistically speaking. Had hold on, a, are you talking about Zeus? Zeus, you got it. Zeus. Ah, damn it. I was like, hopefully they missed the wrestling reference on this one. <laughs> so, so just looking statistically at Clemens, seems like he had a hell of a game. Yeah, he did. He had seven uh, um, seven pressures and a sack. And the crazy thing about him is, like, Michael Clemens is so – he's so big and so physically intimidating, but also he's so – like, he's calm to the point of scariness. Like, he was – so today he spoke to the press after practice, right? And Rich Sambini, who's been – doing this forever, covering the Jets for like 30 plus years, right? He's asking Clemens a question and you could hear the nervousness in his voice <laughs> as he was asking this question. But it was just funny because he said, you know, you had a great game, you know, seven pressures and a sack. Uh, you know, how um, were, were, were you um, were you pleased with your performance? And he said, no. <laughs> and you're just like, Okay, and then they asked him about the nickname Debo, and they're like, what are your thoughts on you know, your teammates are calling you Debo? What do you think? And he just stood there and stared <laughs> and then shrugged his shoulders. I mean, this dude, I'm sorry, man. Look, Josh Allen, I, I look, I don't want to be anybody that's in this guy's way. Like, you got if you haven't seen Michael Clemens, I'm serious, go see him and then watch clips of this man talking. Like, He's going to kill Mac Jones. Like, I'm thoroughly <laughs> convinced he's going to rip Mac Jones's head off and throw it into the fifth row at uh, Gillette Stadium. Like, well, what this, I like this about this is, is that I'm just picturing this media scrum happening, and I would love it. I would have loved it so much more if Clemens had just kind of like out of nowhere just given a DMX kind of a and just watched everyone <laughs> flinch. No, but I'm serious. If you go and listen to the press conference, uh, you'll you'll hear Samini ask the question. I'll send you the clip after. I can't and wait. Maybe, maybe Chris, you can put it into the podcast at some point. But you'll hear Samini, like you can hear the nervousness in his – and this is a guy who has done this forever. I'm sure he pretty much never gets nervous, but you can hear the quiver in his voice. But, yeah, Michael Clemens is one of the most terrifying dudes physically I've ever seen – uh, uh, the jet. He might be the seriously the most physically intimidating guy the Jets have, have had in my lifetime. That's how big and scary he is. Um, and he he played great. I'll tell you, like he's been a pleasant surprise because when they picked him, you're at first you're like he's 24. He's got a history of injuries. He's got this off the field stuff, and we'll see how it works out. But I watched him play Texas A&M, dude. He was no slouch. 
No, for sure. And when you watched him on the field and when you, you hear day in, day out that he's just destroying guys at practice, you're like, man, the Jets might have gotten a real a real value here in the fourth round. So seeing guys like that. I mean, he's better than A.J. Epinesa. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, low bar there, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but no, but like guys like him and then Jabari Zuniga, who was a, a third round pick of the Jets in 2020. He, he has done absolutely zero so far, and he's been doing well in camp and did well in that game. Tanzel Smart played well. So they, they had some of these guys on the defense that were looking pretty good, and that, that was nice to see. So I would say that was the best part of, of what we saw because the offense, I mean, listen, the third stringers in Chris, the end, the, let me put the, Let me put this into perspective for Chris, who hasn't looked at the numbers. Those three players that he just talked about, Tanzel Smart, Jabari Zuniga, Michael Clemens, had more pressures between the three of them than the entirety of the Bills' defense did in our game on Sunday or on Saturday. Depressive. That's it, and it speaks to the fact that it, if nothing else, Salah can coach up defensive line. I, he knows what he knows. He knows defense, and he knows pressure packages, which is something that with the 49ers when he was over there was always an impressive part of their atta- uh, defensive attack. I, I, I kind of like for you. I don't like it because I don't want to see it. But I do like for you, since I like you, this idea that, that at least that seems to be rounding into form. If you can get some guys like a Carl Lawson mixed into this dynamic of, hey, all of a sudden edge rushers who might not have been anything are performing. Chris, we know that dynamic when it comes to our coach. Our coach, former defensive back himself, our defensive coordinator, former NFL cornerback, when you put defensive backs in the Buffalo Bills, they thrive because they've got the proper coaching and they under like it's a guy who knows how to how to tutor these guys into being pros. It seems like you guys kind of have that in the front seven with Sala and the way your defensive line plays. So I'm uh, it's nice to see some of those guys getting a hot start to the preseason, especially the guys who are fighting for depth roles in the team. Is there anyone who you expected to see more from and you just didn't get it? Yeah, I mean, offensively, but but <laughs> the problem is, so everybody was looking to Brees Hall because obviously people are expecting big things from him being a, the, the first running back picked in the draft. But like I said before, they had Chuma Doga and Max Mitchell, I believe, were the ones starting at tackle. So you had two. Yeah. Look, I like Max Mitchell. They picked him in the fourth round. He has some potential, but he's just not ready to play like if you hear the stories day in, day out at training camp, he's, I mean, to be fair, Carl Lawson's very good, but he's just getting like crushed by guys like Carl Lawson and even Jermaine Johnson, the other rookie who they drafted in the first round. So he's not ready to be out there against the first team defense. And Chumadoga is just terrible. So you put that together, <laughs> it's going to be hard for a running back to run behind that. Once you have Dwayne Brown and George Fant out there, look, I know George Fant's not a great run blocker, but certainly. He's better than Adoga or Max Mitchell at this point. I think we'll see more out of them. And, and look, we would have liked to have seen more out of, say, Garrett Wilson and uh, Elijah Moore and all that. But with all the craziness going on at the quarterback spot and the problem of protection from the offensive line, it is what it is. So, no, yeah, I mean, I would, well, to your point, I'm looking at this right now. Yards per attempt for Michael Carter, Zonovan Knight, and Brees Hall. Yeah. 1.7, 2.2, and 3.0. Yep. That's pretty terrible. No, it is. it is. But, again, 
you know, look, when you have those two guys playing exactly. tackle, that's just what's going to be. And also, look, I mean, they only played the starters only played one quarter. Sure, so how much could you possibly see? Oh, but overall, I, I thought there were there were enough positives coming out of this. There were plenty of negatives, too. And I'll throw that in there. Like, for example, and you guys know this from watching the Jets play the Bills. The Jets were beyond terrible defending the screen last year. And that continued the opening drive or the first two drives with uh, Jalen Hurts in there. They couldn't do anything. The only time they even uh, stopped him ended up getting called back because Quincy Williams had a terrible penalty. He hit Hurts when he had been out of bounds for like two full seconds. So that that's a problem. Uh, and and some of the, the issues that they had on defense and offense last year continued. But again, they're just working out the kinks right now. And I'm not going to really get too concerned about what happens in the first preseason game? So obviously, like I, I just feel like I already know the answer to this, but to circle back to the question that we started with, do you feel better today than you did the day before the preseason game? There's, there's almost no uh, way it's a yes because of the state of the quarterback situation, but if you can take that out of the equation and just say about the team as a whole, do you feel better than you did the day before? No, no, I wouldn't say I feel better. I, I wouldn't say I necessarily feel worse, putting the quarterback thing aside, obviously. Yeah. But I wouldn't say I feel better. They didn't show me anything that made me say, wow, that, that that's something better than I ever expected, uh, other than, say, somebody like Clemens. But for the most part, it was, you know, what you would expect in a first preseason game with the starters playing a quarter. So I, I would say that I, I'm probably right where I was before the first preseason game, not putting aside Zach Wilson. I, I'm, I, it didn't really move me in either direction. Well, and, and I can get that because you're hoping – like it's the purpose of all this is to see growth, especially for Jets fans. I mean, I'm not trying to – again, Chris, we, we've talked about this. This is not the Punching Down on the Jets podcast. It's the AFC's Roundup podcast. And so we've tried to find ways to make this a little bit more positive than I think it has been in the past as far as it comes to your team, Scott, because I like you. I like talking to you. And <laughs> one of the things that I look at, though, is that you guys are fans of a what back-to-back four-win season football team. You, mm-hmm. you have eight wins in two years. The time for like, hey, we're just going to incrementally get be- incrementally get better and small changes – you guys as a fan base are looking for real signs of growth. You say, listen, yeah. and, and maybe that comes when your starters see the field, right? When Ahmad Gardner gets to play, when Garrett Wilson gets run, and when some of these pieces that you've added that are giving you all hope, that are kind of the fruits of your terrible fortune in terms of wins and losses, <laughs> when, some right. of, when more of these guys are on the field, maybe that's when you get to see it. But I think that that's the thing is that when you look at this and you want to see something different than what the last two preseason New York Jets have shown you. And so it can be disappointing when you don't get that. But I do think that, again, because of the way you guys have had to remodel this roster, the the, the guys who were probably going to make the biggest difference and move the needle the most didn't see the field. And I think that when they do, you're going to hopefully be a little bit more enthusiastic about how things went. I'm sure you're going to have a ton of coverage on this whole thing and the progression of the run-up after, in the aftermath of what's going to happen this weekend in the preseason. Where can people follow you on social and where can they find all that content? 
Yeah, actually, we are. We do daily training camp reports, and then whenever there's an off day, it's usually either a training camp mailbag answering questions about what's going on at camp with one of the people that's on the scene there covering the team, or what we did when Dwayne Brown signed, we did a uh, film review with the Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, breaking down Dwayne Brown's film, which, by the way, is on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. Also, playlikeajet.com. You can find uh, find me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And also, you can download Play Like a Jet seven days a week. We've got coverage every single day of training camp. We've got a report. We do the post-game reports on the preseason games. Like I said, on the off days, we answer questions or take uh, – Look at the film on one of the newer acquisitions. We did one on Quan Alexander, too. You can download that anywhere where you get your podcasts. I, I know that that's like a corny line everybody says, but it's true. Everybody's got a different way of listening to podcasts. So whatever it is for you, you can find us on there. And I'm really, really glad that, Drew, you survived the full Nelson, which was once made a popular submission hold, a deadly submission hold, in fact, by uh, Hercules Hernandez in WWF back in the 1980s. And then, as Chris alluded to before, the Master Lock by Chris Masters. You somehow survived it from John Fina. So kudos to you. And I'm glad that you did because now I get to come on the AFC East Roundup with you and Chris instead of just Chris Solo. And so that brings us to the Miami Dolphins, who this past weekend defeated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a little in session. And as always, to talk us through all things Dolphins related, Mr. Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. Elf, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing great. It's It's been an, a very eventful week here in Miami after a very eventful week in Tampa. <laughs> well, let's so first let's talk about this because we're talking about the preseason game and the theme of tonight is trying to get a feel for do you feel better now than you did before the preseason game? But I guess my conversation with you starts at a, a little bit prior to the game because so you're watching NFL Network and they're doing a spot. I believe it was from Dolphins Camp and just in the background just here goes this guy kind of traipsing through, casually waltzing through the back of the shot, t- talking into his phone. <laughs> Do you have a thing for just like walking through the back of these? No, I actually try to avoid those things. And while I was there on the field, because that's another thing, uh, big ups to everybody involved with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their access is is impeccable. Uh, you're, you're basically right on the sideline. Uh, that is access, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're not watching practice from, you know, from like a satellite or from a, a hot air balloon or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, you're right there on the sidelines. Right. So I'm there and I'm and I and NFL Network is everywhere. So I'm avoiding them at all costs and I'm going around camera shots and I'm going around their sets and everything. I was completely oblivious. I just walked on to. Uh, them doing an interview with Levante David, and I had no idea they were doing an interview. I just walked right past them, you know. But I was checking my phone and checking my phone and putting away my binoculars, so you know I couldn't be bothered. And then I promised everybody on OnlyFans and some of our listeners that I was going to start doing that every chance I got. <laughs> of course, since then, no NFL Network uh, Network appearances either in Tampa or Miami, so I haven't had the chance to do it. But next chance, next time it happens. 
Look for me. That was going to be my next question. Okay, so I thank you for clarifying that you were on your phone because there was a part of me. Now, the white, new, the, the New Balance sneakers, I don't have a problem. Nobody has a problem with that. They're comfortable, right? I mean, it's kind of, you did date yourself, but it's okay. But then when I saw you with your phone out in front of you and the way you were holding it, I said, oh my God, is Elf one of those guys who gets on speakerphone and then talks into the phone, but like holds it in front of his face? I was going to say, that might be a bridge uh, too far for me, sir. No, actually, first of all, those are Skechers. Those are those Skechers. Those are one Skechers, like okay. Uh, yeah, the... If you watch the the commercial that Tony Romo does, it's the latest one, or I think it's the one that Howie Long does, one of the two. I bought those because they were really, really comfortable. What I was doing was posting pictures onto OnlyFans at that time from that practice. Okay. Yeah, right. I was, I, I'm not one of those guys that, that talks into the phone like that. I, I talk like a normal person, or I just don't answer the phone at all, which See, I'm known to do. I was, Chris, isn't that kind of more our wheelhouse? Yeah, where you don't where you don't answer the phone. Yeah, I don't even I don't even answer texts. Chris knows that if he needs to get a hold of me, he texts my wife. Oh, well, my, you know what? My girlfriend's been getting uh, calls from the CDC, like, <laughs> yeah, just like calls about like COVID, like questionnaires, like why why is the CDC calling America on that? <laughs> I want to. Next time they call, I want it to answer on her behalf and just berate the shit out of them. See, well, that's why I don't answer my phone, because I don't know who this is. I don't know what you want. I probably don't care. Dude, people... If, even if I do know who you are, I probably don't care about what you're about to if, say to me. If we had something along the lines of what Alf has with the uh, the OnlyFans, and it was you, and was recorded, phone, like, you talking to spammers on the phone, <laughs> people would pay to hear you talk to spammers. Oh, my God. <laughs> So, getting back to the Miami Dolphins and their victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. First of all, was it refreshing to watch a Miami team that could orchestrate a passing attack? Yeah, I thought it was really uh, really interesting to watch that week of practice because on Wednesday, they, they, you know, they completely destroyed Tom Brady. Uh, that was one of the better defensive performances I could remember. And they were hitting live. Both teams were absolutely hitting live. Uh, some big hits were laid out there on Wednesday and Thursday. Tom Brady had five drives, mustered two first downs, got sacked three times, had three passes batted down. So I was pretty jacked about that. Uh, the offense was just okay on Wednesday, but on Thursday, the offense was just clicking on all cylinders. And if you saw all the videos being posted from that practice and what some of the NFL Network people and some of the ESPN people, like, um, well, Justine Anderson said that Tua was slinging it all over the place. And I was talking to somebody, a member from the media, because they had a, a portion of practice which was all goal line stuff, okay? And they were hitting life, but they were doing goal line stuff from the six-yard line, first and goal from the six-yard line. And this media member looks at me and goes, yeah, but they're all goal line, you know, series starting at the six-yard line. And, and, and I asked them, did you expect the Dolphins to score 11 consecutive touchdowns? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the and the media members are yeah I, I guess I see your point yeah <laughs> you know what I mean like uh, it was a, a fine performance on Thursday I was very jacked about that and I and I just, I knew right away once both teams on Wednesday and Thursday used their one so much against each other that that Saturday game was going to be a battle of threes mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we got uh, Dolphins didn't play any of their top two wide receivers they did play Cedric Wilson. They didn't play either of their quarterbacks, and they played only two of their starting 
offensive lineman for like 10 snaps. So, Well, I was going to ask the question. So I know that the you brought in Teddy Bridgewater and it was a subject of a lot of jokes and things. You know, people made snarky comments and about, you know, oh, they're just getting this team ready. It's going to be Teddy's team by week one. What have you. In terms of what you saw from your third stringer, any chance that this turn? Because I, I will say that watching the condensed version of that game, it's probably the most confident I've seen anybody to play the quarterback position for Miami look over the last three seasons. Like that kid just came out there and ripped it. Any chance he can play himself into conversation for QB two this year, or do you think that they just they're going to protect Teddy Bridgewater? Let this kid go out there and get his shot, and then maybe try to practice squad him. Yeah, I think that, and we this was a, a bone of contention on the on the podcast because I was saying, okay, now they got a roster this kid because this kid is tearing up camp, and he's also he also had a, a very good two days in Tampa, mm-hmm. then plays a great game. So now they got a roster him, and they got to keep three quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. And Chris Kaufman told me, look, last year we had this pretty much the same thing. Although it wasn't a guy that we drafted because we did draft Skylar Thompson in the seventh round. Last year we had a guy off the scrap heap called Reed Sinnett. And Reed Sinnett tears up preseason. Has one of the the most memorable third preseason games in the history of preseason. I don't know if you remember his comeback against Cincinnati. I feel like and, I remember Dolphins fans all wound up about it on social media and being like, it, what? What are they, yeah. What's a Sinnett? I don't know what the <laughs> What? Well, what happened right after that game, right after he engineered that spectacular comeback in Cincinnati, what happened? They cut him. Yep. And they tried to pass him off into the practice squad. And what did the Eagles do? They mm-hmm. snapped him up. He is now the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. So Chris Coughlin said, look, I don't think that they're going to you know, mess around with this too much. They're going to expose him again. And if somebody poaches him and puts him on their practice squad, that's fine. You know, it's just, you know, the cost of doing business, but you're not going to, uh, you know, waste the roster spot on a third quarterback that will never play after you gave Teddy Bridgewater, you know, top backup money, which is what they gave him. They gave him almost $8 million for one year. So, so I think the hope is that they can get him back onto the practice squad. And if they can use this kid next year as the backup and not re sign Teddy Bridgewater after Tua works out then obviously that's the best of all worlds, right? Now you got an extra $8 million to spend in free agency to add an impactful player somewhere. Well, that's, I I mean, isn't that the draft? Isn't that for like, that's what that, that's the hope for everything. Yeah. So when Uh, you look at what made that performance possible, now I know throughout training camp, you've been there and you've been watching this kind of matriculate in terms of the offense. And there's very little you can really say. And there's a lot that they're keeping kind of hush hush in terms of the structure of the offense and who's doing what, which I understand. It makes, it does make sense, especially being a fan of a team whose coach, Chris, true or false, Sean McDermott would love to have all of our practices take place in a dimly lit basement somewhere where like, underground like a nuclear bunker true statement yeah he, he he'd like to protect his plans as if they were the nuclear launch codes but so with that in mind you got to see a little bit of it in the game do you think that the overall structure of what they did in this preseason game like the changes that mike mcdaniels made to the offense just is this going to be more of what we can expect from the dolphins as they move throughout the rest of the preseason like the offense just looked like there was more to it. It wasn't as simplistic as it used to be. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I think uh, Mike McDaniel, that's one thing about Mike McDaniel. He'll, he's very revealing in all of his uh, availabilities. Like, he'll go the extra mile to, to answer a question for you. But one thing I found extremely interesting was after the game, he was asked, why only 11 rushes against Tampa Bay? And he said, well, for whatever reason, the Bucks were in a 10-man front the entire game, and they were hell-bent on stopping us from running the ball, so we decided <laughs> to throw it every down. And I'm thinking to myself, that is one honest answer. I yeah. checked the tape. Sure enough, it was on there. For whatever reason, the Bucks were in a 9-10 man front the entire game. Which and is they hilarious were because, stopping. because Miami isn't exactly known for being away. Like they're not the, we're not talking about the fucking Titans here. We're talking <laughs> about the Miami Dolphins. So it is kind of funny to see that they would just focus so much defensively on that. Now, on the flip side of the ball, the Miami defense... I was a little surprised at first as I'm kind of, you know, because when it's happening live, I'm just kind of paying attention. I'm, I'm painting and I'm because I'm selling my house and I'm painting and I'm doing all kinds of shit on my phone. And I look and I'm just kind of keeping tabs on it using the uh, ESPN GameCast thing. And I'm watching this and I'm going, Kyle Trask, Kyle Trask. And it's like you're seeing chunk yardage and big plays going on. And so then rewatching it and looking at the box scores and some of the PFF stuff, I. <sighs> I don't know what happened here. I mean, it's... it's Kyle Trask happened. <laughs> well, this is my question. Is Kyle Trask that good? Or were the, is the depth of the Miami Dolphins cornerback depth chart that like that suspect? Uh, I would say that Kyle Trask is, is that bad. Because uh, if you remember, he's the one who led the implosion that gave Miami the lead right well, before the true. half. Well, that is he true. Threw the inter- he threw the interception. Right. And then he actually fumbled and they didn't call it. But uh, then he had that pass that was uh, that was caught and then fumbled and we returned for a touchdown. But, um, you know, I, I, I could sum it up in, in two words. Noah. Well, this is three. <laughs> how many? This is four syllables. Noah Igbenogany. He gave up that first touchdown. And for whatever reason, they decided to play Tyler Johnson, who should be a starter for them this year. Um, Julio. By the way, Julio Jones is absolutely done. Like, like, <laughs> I was going to say, Julio Jones looks fucking cooked in all of the yeah. videos I've seen online. <laughs> yeah, he's like, wow, it's been it's been a long way down, right? Yeah. You know? Uh, he caught a crosser on Wednesday on Xavier Howard, and everybody you know, started having babies online over it <laughs> because he caught a 15-yard crosser on Xavier Howard. And Xavier Howard then revealed that he had told Tyreek Hill because Tyreek Hill told us on Thursday. That's another thing. Tyreek Hill is the biggest snitch on the team. Like He'll tell us everything everybody else says. He says that Xavier Howard went over to him before Thursday, and he says, I'm kicking Julio's ass today because they made such a big deal over that one crossing route that Julio caught, and the fans went crazy over right? <laughs> sure enough, Julio Jones caught nothing on Thursday. He's absolutely cooked. That's funny. No Benogany has had a bad camp. And that's why you see them keep signing guys. Uh, it was unfortunate. Trill Williams got hurt on one of the last plays of the game. He was going to be the fourth cornerback. Now they signed Mackenzie Alexander, so now they have a full-blown uh, com- competition between about three guys for that fourth cornerback spot, which yeah. has been a bone of contention here. I was going to say, D'Angelo Ross didn't look great either. I What's the deal with him? Uh, he should be cut like, <laughs> Soon, I was gonna say, is I he believe. gonna be one of these like 
pre-roster trim down day it was, cuts? It was odd because as soon as that game was over, I said, okay, uh, I know where you're going to make these cuts. You're cutting Tino Ellis. They did cut him. And you're cutting D'Angelo Ross. Well, D'Angelo Ross made it <laughs> onto one more cut, I guess. Uh, I guess they like him as a special teamer. But he's cornerback six right now because they actually went out and got Mackenzie Alexander to be the fourth guy. So it's Mackenzie Alexander. They have this kid that they really like a lot who's a UDFA called Cater Kohu. Uh, really fast kid. Come again? What is it with you guys in the names? Igba, Igba I don't know. Uh, Igba Nagani. Alphabet Soup. Alpha- That's what you've <laughs> been calling him. Cater, did you say Kohu? Yeah, Cater Kohu. Yeah, he's one of those guys at the back end of the roster that they kind of like. Um, it's pretty much set. Byron Jones has not practice at all but they the coach they keep asking him he says look we're not going to do anything to jeopardize our goal our goal is and our expectation is he's playing week one so obviously we're not going to play him and he's probably just going to practice those two weeks before the season over so here's a question so you and you actually shed some light on this for me and it makes sense now based on what i saw statistically and both just on you know again i'm watching a condensed version of the game because I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not sitting down and watching a whole Miami Dolphins game, much less a preseason game. But as I'm sitting here, I'm going, this offensive line is kind of getting it handed to them. And in their 11 rushing attempts, it just seemed like they really struggled to get anything going. Now, going up against nine and 10-man fronts, that makes a little more sense because they're prob- they're a little overwhelmed by the Tampa front seven, which is pretty talented. But I look at some of these guys that like Bills fans would know and that we've talked about over the years because I think about the position the Bills are in. You know, we're going to talk about it a little bit in our uh, Winners and Losers podcast this week. But the Bills offensive line ran into a similar problem where you look at some of the depth pieces of our offensive line and there's some genuine concern that you go, I don't know if I could ever trust these guys to see the field on a Sunday. Well, when you look at what the Miami backups did in terms of just like run blocking, it was bad. I don't think there was a single one of your starters that finished with like a positive run blocking grade. Again... Now that I know a little bit more of the nuanced details of the defensive formations, that makes more sense. But then I see some of these guys, like Solomon Kindley. Solomon Kindley was a name that, like, I remember because he was this enormous human being. He had a couple good games back when Fitz was still on the Dolphins. And there was talk about how, okay, well, this guy's going to grow into an eventual role, and this guy's going to progress, and we can build up the depth of our offensive line. To date, it doesn't look like that's really matriculated is there any concern from your standpoint that because the offensive line is where the Dolphins have kind of come undone on offense over the last two years? If they're going to get this new look offense off the ground, even with all the stuff that Mike McDaniel's going to build into it, that should mitigate. You know, he's going to throw some quick game in there. He's going to throw a lot of motion to throw off the linebackers. Any concern from you? that these backups might not be NFL caliber yet? Like, you guys haven't fleshed out your offensive depth chart that far yet. I think Solomon Kinley is a, is a perfect example of, you know, so, uh, we just don't know. Because if you look at his PFF rating, he had almost a perfect rating in passer in pass pro. Yes. And, and if you look at the actual snaps and the actual numbers, and I tend to trust these numbers. That's one thing I do like about pro football focus. No, I for make sure. Fun. That's it. Like, I make f- their projections off their stats are garbage some t- a lot of the time. Yeah. But the stats themselves are v- like they're worthwhile. Yes, I absolutely do agree. And, and I like the ESPN, that new ESPN uh, uh, pass rush win rate that yes. they have. 
Yes. That's also a very, very good stat. If you look at that, Solomon Kinley played 23 perfect snaps, <laughs> which is hard to do, right? Mm-hmm. But he's a guy that, for whatever reason, one thing you can always count on Solomon Kinley is he's going to give you a lot of effort, and he's going to play with great energy. And he's a guy that it's easy to like if you're a fan because if you're, you're watching him, he's playing with a lot of energy. You know, a, a, you know, he plays with power. He plays. Well, he's huge. Uh, he better play with power. Otherwise, I'd call you big for big for no reason. I've got a couple friends like that. Chris, you, you've met some of them. I refer to them as being big for no reason. <laughs> Like, but for whatever reason, he is buried on that second team and doesn't seem to be able to move anywhere. And maybe he's the and we've speculated on this on the on the podcast that maybe he's the break glass in case of emergency. If Austin Jackson, because he's had a good camp, if Austin Jackson doesn't work out once again, you know, Robert Hunt is a guy that they really do feel. And, and we're beginning to see it. It's now two coaching staffs. That keep talking up Robert Hunt as this guy's gonna be a Pro Bowler. Like this guy's gonna be a Pro Bowler. If it does come to that, I could see how they can move Robert Hunt to right tackle and then Solomon Kinley could step in at guard. Because he could do the job. But okay. yeah, for whatever reason, and maybe it's weight related, uh, you know. Uh remember we're not I'm only I'm there every single practice and I watch him practice every single snap, but I'm not there in the meeting room, I'm not there in the locker room, I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. But he seems destined to stay on the second team and never get off of it, <laughs> you know, which is unfortunate because, you know, he has some talent. There's something there. He played a very, very good six games as a rookie. So, so you seem to be pretty optimistic about a lot of the things that happened in practice in the week leading up to this game. Just the way you guys handled Tampa in practice, the way you handled them in that game, the, the victory itself, the fact that you pulled that off. Do you feel better about your team today than you did the day before your preseason game oh absolutely uh absolutely uh the only thing i don't feel good about is that i really do feel as if they found something with trill williams Mm -hmm. and losing him for the year i think matters because at worst he was going to be an a special teamer and at best he was a very very nice insurance policy to have behind our cornerbacks our starting cornerbacks so i do feel as if the dolphins did lose Pretty good player in Terrell Williams to injury. It's the grossest part of the preseason process. It's the thing that we all hate to see. It's the thing that makes us want to just to hurry up and get to the regular season. Obviously, you're going to have more insights, more recaps, more coverage. Where can everybody find your work and where can they follow you on social? Of course, you could find, you could read everything we have to say on, on social media on three yards per carry. That's the Twitter. That's, that's a number three yards per carry. You can get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify. Uh, we are now with Fansided, by the way. We are powered by Fansided. So you could check us out on their on their pages. Like, we're, we'll be featured. But, of course, you could always get us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. We are still there in the same places. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So that brings us to the New England Patriots, who, hilariously enough, were the only AFC East team to lose their first preseason game. Although this is kind of like that show whose line is anywhere where the points don't matter and who wins is kind of irrelevant. The Patriots lost to the Giants 23-21, the Brian Dable, Daniel Jones-led Giants. And here to talk to us all about it is Patriots super famous Mr. Christian Simonelli. How are you doing this evening, sir? I'm all right, gentlemen. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's funny. So I go back and I watch a condensed version of that game. And I say to myself, maybe all of this hand-wringing about the offense was a little overblown. Did you feel that way coming out of it? Um, no, because they didn't run the new offense. They ran the old offense. So then why they, would... So, so, wait. Say, okay. They ran the they, old offense. Okay, so wait wait a minute. So this new offense we've heard all these things about, you're telling me they didn't do any of it? Yeah, so we ran the old offense, basically. Um, they weren't ready for that game. The only starter on offense that is probably going to start the season, Paul Strange, played in that game. Um, there were no other starters on offense. There are about four guys on defense that are going to be regular contributors, but no starters on defense. So it was almost like a fourth preseason game, and I think that's how a lot of these teams are treating the games now. Um, where like the first game is like the fourth game. And then maybe the second or third is really like that third, the, what the third preseason game used to be in the dress rehearsal. So yeah, don't know. no. And you know what? That makes sense. So I guess my question is in terms of benched, you guys benched your starters. Who did you leave this game feeling better about in terms of their potential as a rotational player or a primary backup than you went into the game with? Uh, the first one offense would be Tyquan Thornton, and I think he's just continued what he's done the majority of camp. Um, he's improved. He's uh, obviously you know known for his straight line speed, but he's brought a little bit more than that. A surprise, particularly a lot of the reporters down there with his elusiveness um, and his sort of quick you know movements and quick in and out of breaks. So um, he looks pretty good, and you know I liked what I saw from Jack Jones on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I think that's going to be even more important now that you got guys like um, Jack Jones and Marcus Jones, considering that you put Joan Williams and Malcolm Butler on IR this week. Well, that's <laughs> that's kind of a big matzo ball in the air, right? Uh, you come out of this game and you take a look. First of all, your secondary gave up plays in the game. The secondary probably wasn't as stiff as you would have liked to have seen from a Belichick-led defense. And then you lose Joan Williams and Malcolm Butler. Now, Jawan Williams, we've joked about it before. Like, he's another just staple of the second-round curse <laughs> for drafting defensive backs that the Patriots seem to have. It's, oh, yeah. It's been a while since you guys drafted a good one in the second round. Uh, but Malcolm Butler was brought in, familiar with the scheme, familiar with the coach, 
just kind of like a, hey, we know you probably don't have a ton left in the tank, but at least you're a guy who's a veteran who can come in here and stabilize the room. He's also gone. So now you're looking at this and saying, we've lost two of our depth pieces who we anticipated being, if probably not third or fourth, but maybe fourth and fifth on the depth chart. Is there concern regarding what your cornerback depth sheet looks like now? I don't think so, at least not for me, because I, I actually didn't have either one of those guys making the team. Um, and I wow. hear what you're saying about okay. depth and, and, and about sort of a veteran presence, which is what I think Malcolm was brought in for. But I think the way the first couple of weeks of camp have gone uh, had, had, have gone so far is that most of those most of those plays that those guys were in on, they really weren't productive plays. The fact that you had Malcolm Butler starting this game, I thought, spoke volumes. So – um, that's fair. I just didn't have them making the roster really. So, I mean, I, I, I just, Joe Juan Williams hadn't done anything different than he has done the past couple of years, which is give up plays. So this is a question because the whole theme of tonight is trying to establish whether people feel better or worse coming out of this game than they did going into it. I take a look at your backup offensive line really didn't give your running backs a lot to work with. Like when you look at like when you when you look at things, it's like in the rushing game again. If you're talking about them running the old offense, that almost makes this worse because there was a part of me that looked at the statistics and said, okay, they're running a new offense. These are depth guys who probably were Yannick Kajust, uh, uh what's his uh, Froholt, some guys that you've drafted Froholt, over yep. the years and kind of expected to matriculate up into at least a reserve role. Watching them come out and struggle at the one thing that you guys like the Patriots offense is going to have to be good at in 2022, that can't have left anybody feeling good, right? It didn't, and it's just been the story of camp. They can't run the ball. Um, at least this week they were able to pass, but consistently that's been the theme. They have not been able to run the ball no matter what group has been in there, the first group or the second group no matter whether it's Damian Harris or Mondre Stevenson, they just haven't been able to, to, to make hay on the ground at all. Um, and does it go back to the coaching? Because Patricia is coaching the O-line, but then he, he's calling plays. And then Joe Judge is coaching the quarterback, but then he's calling plays. And then David Andrews is on the tablet on the sideline during this game trying to coach. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? We'll see. Uh, that's just it. I was like, why is David Andrews with the tablet telling guys what's going on? And then Belichick was like, oh, he's just, he, he's just chipping it. David always that. No, no. Since David has been here, I've never seen him with a tablet in his hand. If Starnekia, my boy, um, ever saw Andrews with a tablet in his head, he would have took it out of his hand and whacked him in the head with it. Well, that's it. Like, when you have, Chris, the, I feel like the offensive coordinator and offense, like, offensive coordinator is a lot like being, you're the head coach of the offense. You're the quarterback of the offense in terms of game planning, in terms of play calling, in terms of all these things. And it's almost like on the field, when you say a team has three quarterbacks, you probably don't have one. The fact that you've got two guys trying to do... This is like the co-manager episode of The Office, when they're trying to explain it to Joe from from (laughs) Sabre after she bought him, and they're like, so you mean to tell me you've got two guys doing one person's job? And then you bring in an like an employee from the company who's also going to chip in and help manage. That doesn't seem like something that's going to work. Like this was one of the dynamics I really wanted to pick your brain about. How did it go in your 
in your eyes? Because I know that they kind of flip-flopped throughout camp. They've let one guy call the plays for a certain segment of practice, and then the other guy got to call the plays, which tells me they don't know what they want. In this game, what did you see in that regard? Like, Was it a legitimate timeshare, and who do you think did a better job? Um, I, it, I think it was a legitimate timeshare, but I'm not sure because of all the movement back and forth and the coaching, like the first half, for example, Billy Yates, the supposed offensive line coach, was up in the booth, and then he came down the second half on the field. Um, and I don't know, like Mac said, you know, well, Billy's at Mac didn't play because Billy's at said, you know, well, I had so and so calling plays into me, and it was fine, like there were no issues with it. I don't know how it played out, and I even got more confused this week because yesterday Belichick was calling plays during during the no huddle segment. <laughs> so it's like, what are we doing? Like, are we are we, have we identified anybody yet? And I kind of got in, into a little bit of back and forth with somebody on Twitter about it. They were like, oh, Belichick uses the first three, four games, you know, as a test anyway, so he'll figure it out. <laughs> no, he did that when he had Tom Brady, and he knew he was guaranteed to win anywhere from 12 to 14 games every year. And the only decision, the only thing that was up in the air was whether or not the AFC championship was going to be on the road or home. doesn't have that luxury anymore. you got to hit the ground running, uh, and you got to have people – you know, in the positions they're supposed to be in, and they need to know who to talk to. Okay, you need Mac needs to go to someone and say, "I'm seeing this. What should we do?" Or you're telling me to run this, but this look isn't necessarily good against this. What are you seeing? He's going to do that with two different people. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be well, an absolute mess. That's a nightmare. And this is—I just keep going back to it. Last season in Miami under Brian Flores. Nobody knew who was calling the plays. They at least the Patriots are owning it. Right. But in Miami, nobody nobody knew. But it it seemed like it was someone different every single week who was involved with deciding what got called into the quarterback before the snap. That's a horrific place to try to live because you can't build continuity that way. And to your point about not being able to like, you can't take this lackadaisically because you're no longer guaranteed anything. The first three games of the season at Miami which is a horror show for you guys over yep. the years. That's a big game at Miami. Not only a di- it's a division game, it's an AFC game, and it's a game that you guys routinely struggle in. At Pittsburgh and against Baltimore, those are three AFC teams, most of which who, Chris, I don't think I'm being out of line in saying that Miami, probably a wild card contender this year, correct? Mm-hmm. If they have a good year. Mm-hmm. If they have a good year probably a wild card contender Pittsburgh for whatever reason it doesn't matter who their quarterback is they could bring back the ghost of Duck Hodges their coach will have them in that wild card contention Baltimore say what you want about them I don't think that highly of them this year I think that they lost too many skill players they're still going to be in that wild card conversation if not conversation for winning the whole I mean Cincinnati's probably got the inside track on the AFC North but Baltimore's going to be there. You can't go. You you can't still be tinkering around with your offense and end up like uh, Chris. What what year was it where the Turk Schoner got fired after the preseason? Might have been 08 or 09. We had a, a season with the Bills, Christian, where we had to fire our offensive coordinator after a season where we brought in two gigantic, two of the NFL's biggest tackles, and then all of a sudden just changed our minds and decided we were going to go up tempo offense, and then wondered why it didn't work. Oh. They're fat dudes. Yep. They can't move that quickly. Yeah. Like they're, they're okay. gassed. They're gassed by the second half. This is a terrible idea. And our offense sucked. 
And then when Turk Schoner got fired, he came back and he goes, I'm not going to, he goes, I'm not going to, he's like, I'm happy I don't have to be associated with that pop gun horse shit that they're going to run there this season. And that year was a mess. The Patriots are on the doorstep of flirting with something similar. And the worst part is, is to your point, this, this Patriot fan mentality that exists of, well, it's okay because we experiment early in the season and we figure it out. If you go one and two over your first three contests, and those two losses are to Miami and Baltimore, that could come back to haunt you later in the year as you're fighting for a wild card spot, couldn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I see those teams, envision those teams, you know, being right there in the thick of it, jockeying in for position with them late in the year. Um, so those would be important tiebreakers. Like you said, they're all, you know, conference teams and they're all teams that are going to be vying for, for, for the wild card. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, they have to hit the ground running. Um, and what's very frustrating to me is that you actually, like in, in the first, like two or three years since Brady was really here, like in 18 and 17, uh, particularly, like you actually have players that I think are going to be pretty good, like Thornton showing some promise. Devontae Parker's had a great camp. Nelson Aguilar looks so much more comfortable this year than he did last year. He's been making plays. And it's like, okay, great. We finally have skill position players, but we don't have an offense to, for them to be productive because we don't know who's calling the place. <laughs> I, I wish I could say I felt bad for you, but I promise well, you that two thirds of the people listening to this don't. I can promise you that two-thirds of the people, maybe even three-quarters of the people listening to this podcast have no sympathy for you guys. So the question, do you feel better today than you did the day before the preseason game? No, I feel worse. How can I feel better? I still don't know what the hell's going on. I have no idea. I don't know. I feel terrible. I, I, and who knows if anybody's even going to play tomorrow night. Like, that's the other thing now. Oh, because they got in all these fights with the Panthers. They're going to pull... They're going to pull the starters. and They're not even going to play the starters. Mac Jones isn't going to play because you don't want to get them hurt. What is this, Pop Warner? Go to your room? Like, no, go out there and play. You need you need to practice. We need practice here. And it's, by the way, it's been Camp Country Club this year, by the way. Um, they've had, the past two weekends, the Patriots have had off. They have not practiced. And there's really only been, like, a couple of practices where they've really been hitting. Other than that, they've all been, like, glorified walkthroughs, with the exception of the, of the uh competitive practices that they had with Carolina this week. That that's nuts. It just there's it it feels weird being on the other side of the looking glass on all of this. It really does. Hopefully things go better for you guys tomorrow night. I'm sure no, you don't people- mean that. Listen, we know each other like that. Don't lie to me. All right, all right. I will Tell bullshit them you. You wanted to blow up. You wanted to want them to lose forty to seven, and for Belichick to be even worse in his post game uh, press conference than he was last week, which would be hard to talk. And you I don't know, know if you guys saw any of that or not, but he was he was pretty bad. And you know, I'm going to listen to it. You oh, know, yeah. I'll be there because we are the pettiest, hardest drinking Bills Petty. fans on earth. Yes, Christian. Why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you on social? You can find me on Twitter at Chris with the T-I-N. Uh, give me a follow and I'll give you a follow back. It's uh, always fun to go back and forth with uh, with people. I actually had some fun with some Jets fans last week and then uh, near miss with Sam Donald. Uh, not Sam Donald. Um, uh, with uh, Why am I drawing a blank Zach on Zach Wilson. Fan? Yeah. Um, I thought he tore his ACL and I was like all happy. But because it was the Jets, I felt bad for the kid, but thank God it was, wasn't torn. So, yeah, uh, it's always good to go back and forth on Twitter. Give me a follow. Give me a follow back. Christian Simonelli, Alf Artiaga, Scott Mason. We're going with tradition. 
because AEW's got a trios tag team title. So they're doing the tournament right now. So we'll go with everybody is like uh, the United Empire of the AFC East. The United Empire? United Empire. They're really running out of gas, like in terms of I mean, creative names. I, I, I knew it was, a th- I don't know their names. I have to, I knew there's a thing called United Empire, but it's Will Ospreay, Mark Davis, and Kyle Fletcher. United Empire from New Japan Pro Wrestling. God. They're going to be in a match against Death Triangle for the quarterfinals of the AEW Trios tournament. This all so sounds like nonsense. You do fitting. realize like the names themselves is kind of what takes me out of this brand of wrestling. The fact that none of you can cobble together like like this sounds like WCW when it was on the road Ultimo Dragon. Like what a shitty wrestling name for a dude who wasn't that bad of a wrestler. Ultimo Dragon was fucking unbelievable. He was so fun to watch. Terrible name. Did you want me to use the Trust Busters? That's a real thing. I almost just spit in my laptop to think that that's a real thing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're here talking about Buffalo Bills preseason football. The Bills who beat the Colts on a walk-off field goal, 27-24. I, I'm going to pay my, I'm going to eat a little bit of crow in this week's Winners and Losers podcast, but I'm going to save you all, like, like the, the spoiler alert. Make sure you tune into our Winners and Losers podcast because I am a loser this week. But when I'm looking back at this game and I'm trying to unpack what happened and figure out if I feel better about the team, first of all, I know someone who should feel worse. Frank Reich, your offense. Woof. Like Kevin McAllister. I mean, look at this. First of all, you put your starters out there. In a preseason game that you know your opponent has already said, we're not playing any of our starters. Everyone who sees the field is a depth player for us. Your offense as a starting offense with Matt Ryan, Michael Pittman, Quentin Nelson's out there on the field. Remember what I said about their offensive line last week? About how like, hey, they th- everyone goes, well, their line isn't going to be great, but it shouldn't be that bad. I said, no, fuck that. These guys should absolutely get it handed to them. Yeah. Who's right about what? Look at this. They're, our backup front seven held their starters with Quentin Nelson in the fold. Naheem Hines had 3.3 yards per carry. Now, obviously, Jonathan Taylor probably would have generated a little bit more because he's a star. But the fact that we held your rushing attack behind an offensive line that's supposed to be powering what your offense is. They don't have the wide receivers to be a dynamic spread offense. This kind of 12 personnel, sometimes 11 with a tight end out there, like that's who they're going to be. And they're going to rely on the rush to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Our backups held you to 3.3 yards per carry and you gave up a sack. And the in terms of like just overall progression of how Indy's starting offense fared, they scored three points off a turnover inside of our own 20. They started, oh, what is it, one for five on third down, 0 oh for two on fourth down against a bunch of backups. If you're Frank Reich, there's no way you could possibly feel good about what just took place, right? Well, I mean, it is. You're running, what, vanilla offenses? I don't really... It's a preseason. Sure. It's but so, you're not doing anything that you're gonna do in the regular season. Of course not, no. But here's what I say. These are guys who are like we don't view them as being on the same level as your players. 
you're playing starters, we're playing backups. Our backups held like held serve. Our backups showed that, hey, at least in a vacuum, if we're all just doing vanilla, if we're all just going out there and being athletes, playing the game we've been playing since we were little kids, my guys are just as good as your guys. That's a problem. And when I look at that, here's what I take away from this. Given those depth pieces that performed really well, our defense might be the most complete we've seen under McDermott if they can genuinely be relied on on Sundays. In 2020, the Bills were 20th in fourth quarter points allowed. Our offense scored a ton, but our defense gave up, on average, they gave up some points in the fourth quarter. In 2021, they, they, they dropped to ninth in fourth quarter points allowed. In 2021, almost all of the teams that finished in the top 15 for fourth quarter scoring allowed made the playoffs. That's pretty impressive. The Bills improved in closing out games last year, and if you can get better depth that allows us to not only be more talented at the top end of the depth chart, but also fresher going into the final frames of a game where you can say, hey, I've got a Kair Elam who I can roll out there sometimes, and now all of a sudden we can switch it up and just play press on the outside. I've got a Benford waiting in the wings where in certain situations, late in a game where I know that we're up by 10 points, we're going to squeeze you, and all of a sudden, instead of zone, we're going to throw man at you, and we're going to make these wide receivers and your play calling try to adapt to something completely different. You could shut teams down in a way that we haven't seen them do in a while, Right? Yeah. A long, long time. Maybe even since like the Super Bowl era. Another thing that I walk away from this with is that maybe didn't leave me feeling so good. Do we have a a backup quarterback controversy yet? Or is this is as much ado about nothing? Well, I did get a text from your wife that you were done with Case Keenum in the uh second quarter. Hey now, there 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 needs to be a little bit of uh, a little bit of context applied to this. I tweeted it out over at Rockpell Report on her Twitter handle. I just calmly said because I'm watching the game with my son, like I'm not ranting and raving, I'm not screaming at the TV. But what I said was, it's getting really hard to judge what our skill position players can accomplish when this guy keeps turning the ball over. At some point, you gotta like even if it's just for the day. And I, I, I posted it with a gif of Mr. Miyagi just kind of waving his hands dismissively and going, come back tomorrow. I was like, today is not Case Keenum's day. Just for the sake of evaluation, let's get him off the field so that we can see what these young pieces of our offense might have in the tank. Now, when you look at it, like that sounds absurd, right? Because if you were yelling, cut Case Keenum because he had a bet, that's crazy talk. But it's also not crazy to ask the question. Case Keenum against the starting defense looked really bad. And then they put in their second stringers, and everyone's like, okay, well, Keenum will rebound now. And he looked bad. Matt Barkley came in against second and third stringers and set them on fire. Do you almost, Chris, want to see Barkley get a little bit more run with the second team this time around in this weekend's upcoming preseason game? Not really. He's been here before. I know what I got with him. Yeah, you know what you got with him? Uh, he's the same guy who caused you to have to drink the fastest Seagrams of your entire Seagrams betting career. Yeah, I'll drink to that. 2018, you bet me that the Bills wouldn't, with Matt Barkley recently signed at the helm of our offense, 
the Bills wouldn't score a touchdown in their game against the Jets at the Meadowlands. It took four plays. It was a, a bomb to Robert Foster and then a 25-yard run by LaShawn McCoy, and you had to drink a Seagram's in the first, like, three and a half minutes of a football game. Yeah, it's the fastest Seagram's <laughs> I've had to drink, but I'd rather see what Case Keenum has with... I'd like to see Case Keenum play a series with some ones. Really? Yeah. Okay. Just that one. That might be interesting. Just one with, you know, Diggs and Davis and Cook and Singletary and Morse and the whole offensive line. Because, I mean, the uh, the two... What do you throw? Two picks? Um, two inter- here. I've got his stats up in front of me. He threw two interceptions. He okay, fumbled bo- the ball once. Okay, both interceptions were... On him. Well, I was going to say, because the the, the the first first one was an aggressive throw. That was was aggressive. Aggressive and high. Also, Jameson Crowder. It was also high. It was also high, but also, you get paid for your hands. Yeah. Like, you get paid for your hands. That's more for the second one. The second one was just straight ball play. Oh, that was a terrible pass. Yeah, like in that situation also. He threw a back shoulder throw, what looked like, or, or what looked like he was like, oh, hey, my wide receiver's going to cut inside, and then underthrew it, and the wide receiver turned around, and the cornerback had no, there was no one within five feet to contest that catch. No, like those are bad throws, but, you know, if you have your A receivers, like a, if that throw is to a Diggs or a Davis, is. Maybe it's different. Okay. Is, is that. All right. Yeah, because the first one, yeah, it's high. But if you have somebody, a talented receiver out there, are they going to be able to pull that in? The second one, are they going to be able to put up more of a fight to make that an incompletion? Like, I wouldn't mind one series of Keenum with the ones. I mean, hell, we already know that he's got chemistry with Stephon Diggs. Yeah. Dude, the miracle. (laughs) I still sometimes watch that. I hope you all just caught that. I was listening a, to that. If you want to rewind and, and listen, you might be able to catch it, but continue. I was at a bar when it happened. We're at a bar. It's a it's the Saints and the Vikings. No one's paying like no one here in Buffalo really cares about this game. So I was doing like a bar crawl with a couple of my buddies and we found our way out to the East Eden Tavern because they both live on in the middle of East Eden. And so we had worked our way through Hamburg and all the way back to this bar. And so as we're boozing, I'm watching the games kind of on TV. I'm not paying attention because the game looks like it's over. There are a Hail Mary attempt away from the Saints going on, moving to the NFC Championship game. And there is a table with four Vikings fans sitting at it directly behind us. When that play happened... It was a celebration kind of like what we felt when the Bills broke the drought. There was an explosion. There was people, the tear, chairs and tables got knocked over. People were crying. It was chaos. To know that two of the guys involved in that play are now on our roster, it would be kind of cool just to see them dial up a moonshot like that just for old time's sake. I'd like it. Just to try it, just to see what it looks like. But one of the things, to my point about analysis here with these two quarterbacks... Isaiah Hodgins, was he? I don't know that he was in the game a ton when, outside of that catch when Keenum was in the game. Who threw him that ball? Was it Barkley? Barkley. Okay. Barkley. I mean, that was a hell of a catch. Threw him 
I mean, let's give let's, targets nine receptions. Let's give Nate Geary credit there. That was a hell of a catch I guess by my, Isaiah Hodgins. But, but I guess my point is, is that you, how are you supposed to evaluate a guy like Isaiah Hodgins? Uh, Khalil Shakir had a couple really nice connections with Case Keenum early, but how are you supposed to evaluate what the guys who are actually fighting for their lives here on this roster like? Uh, you're looking at a Kumro versus a Hodgins who fumbled. Kumro fumbled. Meanwhile, Hodgins comes in with playing with the third string and just tears it up because Matt Barkley's putting the ball on him, putting him in good position to make plays, something Keenum wasn't doing with a lot of our receivers. It just it's frustrating to see when this whole portion of the season is about evaluation. I just don't want a quarterback who's not going to let us evaluate these guys because Tanner Gentry, Khalil Shakir, Isaiah Hodgins, like those are your guys. Some of these guys didn't even get targets, or they got one. O.J. Howard saw one target. Now, maybe that's by design, but also it's just, if we didn't turn the ball over so much, maybe that's not a problem. Maybe we see more of what these guys has, they have to offer. Yeah, but I don't I don't see O.J. Howard being, uh, I mean, like, there's no point in your, where he's going to be up to be cut. No, but again, I want to say it's about evaluation at this point. Do we need to keep another tight end just in case this guy actually can't get separation? There's a lot of questions that come into this, and that's what this portion of the season is supposed to be about. It's evaluation. And unfortunately, I was left coming out of that game thinking to myself, maybe Matt Barkley needs more run with the twos just so we can get a better sense of if Barkley's actually because I don't know that he's better than Keenum, but what I do know is that the players that we needed to see make plays made plays when he was on the field. And for Case Keenum, he just had a, a dog of an afternoon. He just had a dog of an afternoon. And I think it hurt our opportunities and the coaching staff's opportunities to really evaluate the players that they put on the field at that point. A couple guys who didn't get hurt in terms of evaluation. Now, you heard it at the top of the show. Uh, who was that, Chris? Refresh Jason McCourty, NFL Network. Jason McCourty talking Kyer up... Elam and Christian Benford. Talking up two rookie cornerbacks. It's... They passed this test with flying colors, I feel like. I mean, if you listen to our Winners and Losers podcast this week, we go, we gush about some of the... Some of the... Just the, the rookies and the overall impact, and we talk about why that's important. But these two specifically... I just want to take a second look at it because here's a quote from Brandon Bean at the very start of Bill's training camp. He was asked about how he was going to be watching Dane, Dane Jackson and Kyrie Lim acclimate and was asked about whether he's keeping an eye on the market. You know, there's veterans out there. What are you doing? This is day one of training camp. He says, he goes, if I think an addition is needed, it could happen at some point. If not, he goes, we'll be watching the guys, seeing how they acclimate. If not, we'll definitely pay attention to the veteran market, whether that's trading for a guy or a guy that's unemployed. So, Bean already went on record and said, hey, I'm watching how our cornerback room develops because there's a lot of youth and we don't know what we're going to get out of these guys. Well, here's what I saw out of our youth. Cam Lewis, flashing in coverage against the run has a fourth down stop against the number of the, the offense of the Colts with their ones on the field. Benford with a huge fourth down PBU, solid in coverage, big stop on third and two to force a fourth down conversion attempt. Elam has a drive-ending pass breakup against the Colts and was aggressive against the run. 
that not only was that a great pass breakup against Michael Pittman, but it was textbook because the route that Pittman ran puts him directly in front of the receiver. That should, in most cases, Chris, be an easy pitch and catch, especially for a guy as talented as Pittman. Yeah. Elam timed the breakup perfectly because, man, and this is one of the things I love about what the coaching staff did with these two. He's, they said, look, we know that you guys, like, you're both high-end athletes. That's why you're here. You're rare athletically, if you look at the RAS scores. They drafted him and said, listen, we think we can teach you to be good zone cover corners. But if you're more comfortable playing man, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to let you go out there and do the thing, especially because we're being vanilla. It's the preseason. We're going to let you go out there and do the thing that you're comfortable with. Both of them absolutely shined in that capacity. And then you throw in the performance of Cam. I don't think Cam Lewis is getting enough shine here. Without a Dane Jackson on the field, without a Teron Johnson, without a Trey White, the boys outside showed they have fucking chops. Is it always going to go their way? Probably not, right? Like, they're young. They're green. They're going to go up against better wide receivers who, if you tried playing off-ball coverage right now, either one of them against Cooper Cup, I'm assuming Christian Benford probably gets pants more often than he doesn't. But you just have to consider that they both play a sticky physical brand of coverage that nobody else on this roster can. In 2021, Dane, Dane and Trey held down the fort playing really good off-ball coverage, and Dane was solid from the cornerback position as a physical cornerback who can come up and run support. If you talk about Cam Lewis maybe being a practice squatter ready for a call-up in case something happens to Teron Johnson, given the way he plays the run, I don't know. The fact that we've made it to this point in the week and Bean hasn't been flirting with the cornerback market at all, that's a win! That's a win for these young quarterbacks. They passed the first litmus test, which was go out there and don't embarrass us. Show us that at least in terms of being depth players on what we think is a highly competitive football team that has an all-pro talent, that has a guy who filled in really, really well in the CB2 role last year in Dane Jackson, that you guys can also come in here and give us something, a little spark, a little something special. I I don't know. I, I think that that's a huge piece of this, Chris. Right? Yeah. And so with that in mind, how do you not feel better? How do you not feel better? <coughs> I don't know. Well, we got no Trey White. So with Kyir and Benford playing the way that they have, you're hoping that it continues for week two and three of the preseason combined with what you can get from Dane Jackson and that those three can hold the fort until we get Trey White back. And if you guys listen to, which I'm sure you have because you love us and you love me. Allegedly. You, you listen to the uh, podcast we recorded last week with uh, John Fina, J- uh, Joe Miller, and Joe, Joe Marino, Marino live from O'Neill Stadium in. You listen to us, we did kind of a dissertation on culture, both from the perspective of fans, from the perspective of guys who have been on the sideline of training camp and have seen things unfold, from guys who have been in the locker room. It was a really interesting conversation, so if you haven't listened to it, make sure you go back and check that out. But you saw, there was a moment last night as I was a glass of, well, I think I was on my second glass of bourbon because I'm selling my fucking house and it's stressful. I... 
I'm on my second glass of bourbon. My wife's asleep, and I'm rewatching this game. There was a moment about culture. Raheem Blackshear had a he he might have powered the Bills to this come from behind win. Do you think that that's a fair thing for me to say? Probably. Okay, his play might have buoyed the Bills, but him and Matt Barkley stepped in and won this game for us. I'm watching Blackshear's game. He he goes out there. You know, he gets the, the the thing that drew the game close. He gets that touchdown, and he gets kind of a cheap shot. He gets held by the ankles and then kind of rolled over on by a Colts defender, and he's down at the goal line. And he gets up and he walks off his own under his own power, probably just on sheer will. But then you watch him kind of crumple a little bit on the sideline. Now, this is an undrafted free agent running back who just just had a great play, his second great play. And he's because they took the ball away from him because of the two-point conversion on the last drive, he gets his first NFL touchdown game ball that he can take home with him. And yet as he's over there taking a knee because he physically is having a hard time standing up because of his injury, Josh Allen comes over and gives him a big hug and kind of daps him up. This is what I love about this football team. You've, you've got an, a potential, like a, an MVP candidate going into 2022 who just loves these guys so much and he's such a leader that this guy, Raheem Blackshear, probably not, not anywhere close because of the presence of James Cook, not even close to flirting with roster. Like, he, not even close to flirting with the roster spot. Right, Chris? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Josh Allen loves that guy. Because in that moment, Josh is like, listen, brother, we're here. This is it. This is what we, you're part of the collective we. Yeah. Even though I'm a multi-million dollar athlete who's going to go on to be at least one cover of Sports Illustrated this yeah, year. Yeah, he's a king dapping up a plebeian. Yeah. That's the culture. I, I, there's no way to not feel good about this fucking football team walking out of this game. <sighs> now, things are good. I'll say this. Make sure you listen to our segment in the, this upcoming Winners and Losers podcast. We're going to talk about the young guys specifically. We're going to run them down. We're going to have a lot of – because they clearly won the day. And this weekend is going to be interesting because all four AFC East teams have talked about playing their starters, including the teams that benched them. It's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. It's going to make this show a lot more interesting to record next week. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this is Benny Ray of C's Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.